The title of the message is Perseverance or Apostasy. Gospel Grace Ministries were located in uh, Ross, Ohio, which is about 18 miles north of uh, downtown Cincinnati. We plan on doing this live streaming every week. There, we have a sermon audio site, and um, our main website is gospeldefense.com. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. Know this also, that in the last days, grievous times will be at hand. For men will be lovers of themselves, money lovers, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, unyielding, false accusers, without self-control, savage, despisers of good, traitors, reckless, puffed up, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power of it, from such turn away. For of these are those who creep into houses and lead captive silly women loaded with sins, led away with different kinds of lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. But as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt mind reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further, for their foolishness shall be plain to all, as theirs also became. So again, the title of the message is, it's, it's a question to those hearing the message, perseverance or apostasy? Perseverance or apostasy. Now this message is to be uh, personal to everybody that hears it. Worry about yourself, and we're going to talk about that more in here, that this is about examining yourself. I mean, we can always make a list of people we think that need to hear this message, but this is for uh, ourself. And as I mentioned before, most of the time when I preach, I, I'm, I'm learning my, for myself and applying these things to myself. As you know, I, I've gone back and listened to some of these messages to check the video quality and the sound quality. And, I'm, and, and I was edified by the truth in my own message, not because of, um, you know, my hair looked good or my shirt looked good or the way I said something. Because <laughs> all those things, I think, could be improved. But the truth of Scripture continues to recycle and edify God's people, no matter how many times you hear it. As people claim to believe the gospel and make it known to others, that they are in agreement with it, you often see those that maybe after a while, and, and the time is different. Some people, it might be a short while, and other times it might be years later, they will drop off and fall away. Uh, you might see a great deal of excitement from the beginning, 
as they're glad of this new change in their in their mind, what they think they have a spiritual mind. It's just a radical change. The message we preach, I believe, is the message of the scripture, which runs counter to the world. No doubt about it. If you if you can't see that, you're not hearing anything we're saying. But they have this radical change. God has seemingly give them repentance or a change of mind from the lie they used to believe. And now they are believing the truth that just totally changes their mind. And if there's no change in the person, in their mind, nothing has happened to them. Here people talk about how that, uh, well, you know, if, if you haven't been changed by the gospel, or, or they say, you know, there, there's been no change uh, personally by the gospel. There, there's a change. If there's been no change, something's wrong. Primarily, there's going to be a change of mind. Now, from that change of mind going into your actions, that's another thing. It's a little bit harder because you can think and say and not do. And that's what we live all the time. We, we, we're a walking bag of hypocrisy and sin still. But the primary source is the change of mind. Now, you can have somebody that doesn't know anything about the gospel and do all kind of moral things and look good on the outside. And, and you see that throughout scripture. And people look at that and say, well, they're saved. If they're not saved, who can be? And they're just clean on the outside. But they believe a false gospel. You see those people riding around on bicycles with white shirts and black pants. Or they walk two by two with their little literature passing it around. Be careful when they knock on your door. Be ready to give an answer of the hope that lies within you of the gospel, which more than likely if it's the group that I'm talking about, they, they, don't, they don't know the gospel. I would hate for somebody to reject somebody that believes the same gospel and they're, they're dressed in black pants and white shirt and you say, get out of here, <laughs> and they really believe what we believe. That'd be bad, wouldn't it? Don't always judge by outward appearance when it comes to at least clothes and people come to your door. So... Some people fizz out, that's what I'm saying. They, they get excited about this thing. We, we see that in the parable of the seed and the sower. You see, there's all kind of examples here. And I, I don't want to do a multi-part, you know, dozen series. This could be done easily on this. Perseverance or apostasy, you could talk weeks about this. Anyway, these people, they, they seem like they're, quote-unquote, into it, right? They're into this message, and it has affected this radical change in their mind of they have rejected. They don't believe anymore what they used to in their false religion. And they're, they're at the very least given lip service. It talks about a form of godliness, but they deny the power. Though, and we'll get to that eventually. But on the surface, it seems like, yep, this person's converted. They say the same thing we do. We call them brother. We pray for them. They pray for us. And a few years later, where are they at? More people have run through this place than have stayed. So some, some openly have said, I don't believe this anymore. And they have said things on the social media to counter what we believe. I would rather somebody say that than, than wonder for years and years and years, wonder what, what's up with those people? Where'd they go? Wonder where they're at, wonder what they're doing. And then you write them and they won't answer you. So... It's not the end of the world if you don't get an answer. I mean, we're just required to do what we're to do here. And if, uh, it's a snooze, you lose policy. The food is laid out here. The fellowship is here. And I'm sure there are some others that we will be finding. We're looking for other churches to fellowship with, but it's uh, they're few and far between. But there are various reasons why people eventually 
take off or, or drop off or fall away. You've got different personalities. You've got different situations with people that are working, people that have health issues, and some things are legitimate, like, well, they're, you know, they're not, they have a legitimate excuse. They, they can't be here. And you have other people that um, uh, live too far away, and they can only come every so often. And there's just such a variety, a diverse mix of reasons why people do fall away or that we think they have fallen away. And, you know, we're not the final judge and jury. It's not our business to say, you know, label somebody. This person is an apostate unless we know. And some people have announced, I don't believe this anymore. Then we can do that. One time a person, um, I was concerned about a person that hadn't been here in a while and was talking to a person close to them and it's just, you know, I was trying to figure out what's the problem. Did, did I say something wrong? You know, is there somebody in the church that offended them? And long story short, they got around to it and they said, well, you know what? It, it's kind of unfair to even ask that question because, because you're the pastor and you're into it. <laughs> I would expect the members that have had their mind and their world turned upside down that they would be into it, right? They will either, these people will either, really everybody will either persevere and persist in the faith to the end in spite of difficulty, obstacles, discouragement, and they will continue steadfastly believing, loving, and defending the gospel of grace and fellowshipping with people who do loving their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, like the scripture says that God's people do, or they will eventually depart from the faith and make it apparent in some level that they are not in league with or in alliance with what they once claimed that they were with. So there are a multitude of examples in the scripture. And we've had our own personal experience. Uh, the longer you're in this, the more you see this happen. I, I'd mentioned, I guess I have the advantage of having been here from the start and seeing people come and go from here. But you've even your own personal experience, even, even if you're in a false church, you see how that people come and go and you know their reasons and you've heard, it's gone in your ear, the reason why they've left, and sometimes it's petty, uh, sometimes it's legitimate, sometimes people don't need to be going to the church they're going in the first place. There's, there's just so many factors, I don't want to get bogged down in the variety of things, but I do want to remind us there's so many factors to remind us, don't be so quick to judge what's going on. But there are a multitude of things happen, so we can't necessarily get this generic cookie-cutter thing and say this is all the time the reason, because it might not be the reason all the time. But some apparently eventually uh, throw in the towel, so to speak. And bottom line is, as we've heard other preachers say, and I think I've said it here before, adults pretty much do what they want to do. A person that is out from the authority of their home that they're raised by their parents. They're adult now. They can make their own decisions. They can, humanly speaking, run their own life. They do what they want to do. 
right? So they, in other words, they should be in charge of designing their own priorities in their life. And if they want to change something, they should seek to change it, uh, whether anybody tries to stop them or not. I'm not in charge of anybody. I can't, I can't get in somebody's brain and change their will. If I could do that, I'd do that to myself. I have a hard enough time doing the right thing myself. I am not going to suppress somebody and force somebody to do something that I want them to do when they really don't want to do it. People do what they want to do. God's word tells us that where our heart is, there's our treasure. Wherever our treasure is, our heart will be there also. Scripture also talks about discipleship. Christ said, if you continue in my word, you are my disciple indeed. So stress on continue related to perseverance. So, you know, you need to like clear the smoke, bring down the noise, sit still, meditate and, and get honest with yourself and ask yourself some questions. You can do a little bit of that here, but I encourage you when you are by yourself, wherever you're going to go out in the woods, get in the car, whatever on the back deck and ponder and think and ask yourself these questions. Do I really know Christ? Do I love Christ? Do I love the gospel of the grace of God in Christ? You say yes. That leads you to other questions. Do I love others who believe the same thing I do? My brothers and sisters in Christ. Do I love them? Go to go to First John and see what it says about the either the consistency or the inconsistency there. Read it for yourself. God's people love the brothers and sisters in Christ. They've got the same gospel, same Christ, same father. They're in the same family. We just talked about adoption the last few weeks. Spiritual adoption in the same family. So you have to ask yourself hard questions. With any question in life that is, is important, are you going to sweep serious questions under the carpet? Are you going to like get a charge card? Are you going to like swipe that thing and buy all kinds of stuff? And when the bill comes in, say, I don't want to open that thing up. I don't want to see how I'm not going to pay it either. I guess I'll eventually get some fees and fines. And then I, I don't know what happens after that. But um, or, you know, you've got this pain in your gut and it's just debilitating. And you're afraid to go to the doctor because you're afraid he's going to tell you you have cancer. Well, you finally go and the doctor says, I have the results. And you, you just say, well, you know what? I, I don't even want to know. Talked to a guy at work one time. He talked about um, the context was um, somebody else we worked with. His wife was having an affair. And he said, I, if, if that was happening with my wife, I wouldn't even want to know. You know, these are these are like lower level things compared to our eternal state. You need to find out about this. You need to ask yourself these questions about you, of where you're at here in reference to perseverance or apostasy. Scripture says, I would rather you be hot or cold. Those that are lukewarm in Revelation says, I will spew them out of my out of my mouth. And, you know, as me pastoring this church, <laughs> I would like to say the same thing. I'd like to see if somebody's either hot or they're cold, 
or if they're lukewarm, I'm saying, I, I don't know where they're at. I don't know how to help them. If they're hot, you know, I guess things are working out through their food that they're getting from the gospel. If they're cold, I, I, I at least know there's a problem. If they're lukewarm, I mean, sometimes you don't know. You don't know where they're at. Uh, I have a 27-year-old son who uh, it doesn't matter what question you ask him. Does anybody know besides Becky don't cheat? What, what is his answer? I don't know. <laughs> when I know he knows. <laughs> I think there are, uh, I've experienced dealing with people spiritually to where they're just not being open. It, some stuff's not my business, just to be honest. And I, and I don't ask those questions. But um, I kind of get that implied by them. You know, I don't know. And I know they know. But we do that too. Sometimes people ask me questions. I don't care who. I sometimes just say, I don't know, or I'll change the subject because I don't want to deal with it. you got to deal with this issue right here. Right here because it's important. So do you love the brothers and sisters in Christ? You should know how to determine who these brothers and sisters are. If I ask you that question, you should be trained enough to know who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. We've, we've talked about this. We talk about it all the time. We talked about a message not too long ago in that message. Be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. To, to know whether you should be yoked with them in fellowship, be in union with them in fellowship, you need to know that they are or are not brothers or sisters. That's a no-brainer, right? Like, it says, beware of false prophets. That's a command to make a judgment to know, or first of all, to beware of who they are. You have to know who they are first to beware. It takes judgment. People that say we shouldn't judge, they don't know what to say. They're ignorant of the scriptures. We have to judge all the time, and we do. You can act like you don't, say, say that you don't. Even if you judge somebody saved, you're making a judgment. Based on some kind of criteria, it better be what the scripture says. So we have to know who our brothers and sisters of Christ are and know who they aren't so that we fellowship and we are in league and in alliance with them. These are the family of God that we always talk about. So I kind of shifting gears here in the introduction. We're going to start talking about more about these two things, perseverance or apostasy. Now, in Sovereign Grace Calvinist Reform Groups, and when I say that, I just generally refer to those that believe what's called the doctrines of grace or the doctrines of sovereign grace or what is systematically explained out in the acrostic tulip, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace. And this word that we're looking at today, the last word, P, some people use perseverance, other people's use preservation. I like preservation. And I, some of you already know why. But for sake of those that are listening, the idea of perseverance of the saints, I know and have listened to and have noticed that some certain Sovereign Grace Reform Calvinistic groups will make that legalistic and conditional. So it brings you to the question, persevere in what? That's, that's really what it's going to get down to. 
You believe, I believe in perseverance of the same. What do they persevere in? And those that add this long laundry list of stuff of do's and don'ts, I'm thinking, where'd you get that from? And you call it doctrines of grace. <laughs> and there's all kinds of stuff that's not grace. They've turned it into law. I don't believe in that type of perseverance. I believe that we're preserved by God, by the work of Christ. Really, the whole Trinity preserves us. And that we're caused to persevere in something. And I want to stress today what that is that we persevere in as we go along. So, persevere in what? As I've said many times before, and me, I have to be more accountable than anybody because I say this more than anybody. I have to put my money where my mouth is and make distinctions and define things and clarify things to be clear about what aspect, if any, am I talking about perseverance. Now, let me first say that some prefer preservation only and not deal with perseverance because they fall into this, what is called easy believism. Some of us know what that is. That is who the Lordship salvation people are against. And, and we're against it too, if you, at least if you define it right. I was involved in what's called easy believism and Lordship salvation at the same time. It is possible. I know many people that have said that too. But easy believism would be this tied to the system of the uh, Charles Finney's altar call where people come down front and get their fire insurance by saying a prayer and then they walk away and nothing's different. They just think, I did that, so I'm okay, and they're done. Those people have not even heard the gospel, much less believed it. They may have heard the gospel, rejected our gospel, and chose that way. Uh, but with me, I experienced, I was deceived 10 years in that system, and then I heard the gospel, and now I know what it is. And then the Lordship Salvation people would go a different direction and not say what we say about the subject. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and preach my 10-part series on real Lordship Salvation again. You can see it on Sermon Audio. Or my six-part series on self-righteousness, which is there too. Or seven-part series on what the gospel is. Or the message that is judging by the gospel there's like 300 sermons there you can pick through and, and listen to and ask me questions about that are related to this distinction here of preservation versus perseverance. I believe in both, but when I'm spelling it out and have headings, I use preservation. So the scripture teaches that God's sheep are not just preserved, but they will also be caused by grace to persevere in the faith, in the gospel, and live by it. The just shall live by faith. They're given faith in the person work of Christ. They're changed completely in their mind concerning that issue, and they will believe that until the day they die. They will persevere in that gospel. They will not somewhere finally reject that. So that's the perseverance, and God does it monergistically. He works in the person. He starts something in them, and he will finish it to the end. He will cause them to persevere. We get no meritorious credit or space to boast about that. So think about just that phrase, that scriptural phrase, the just shall live by faith. And if somebody has 
fallen off or fallen away. How, how are they living by faith? That's death. Of course, some of the, the more legalistic people would, would say, well, they'd have a different opinion of what that means to live by faith. They would conditionalize a bunch of things and say, if you're not doing this, this, that, and the other, and then you say, well, hold on now, that's what I came out of. And you're putting me back in that? So you, the members here know what we're talking about. So God's people, they persevere in the gospel. God will not leave his people to themselves. That, that is a promise of God. He won't cast them out. He won't leave them to themselves. Left to ourselves, we're done. He, he indwells in us. He keeps our faith focused on Christ and the gospel. And as we study and learn and use the means of the word of God, we constantly and increasingly see there is no hope in us. And we are encouraged to look outside of ourselves. And I think even grow in that idea. Should we look inside of ourselves less? We should look inside of ourselves never. <laughs> I know when you get caught up in circumstances, uh, you might catch yourself looking to yourself. You say, okay, I remember now I'm not supposed to do that. There your assurance fluctuates. You know, faith fluctuates in reference to strength. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You have to be exercised in the faith and grow in the faith. You think that will affect your assurance? You know it directly. So God will not leave his people alone. He won't leave them to themselves. I know this because the word God says it. And I know this because we know the scripture talks about that the sheep of God have needs. And I know from personal experience, combined with the scripture, I know my own personal spiritual needs. If I'm removed from the means, you'll see a change in the strength of my faith, and then it will affect my assurance. So God's people have needs. We did it. There's another message, a few part series, I think, on the needs of the justified elect. I think maybe two or three messages there. We have needs. We should walk through this door every Sunday without this tunnel vision focused on ourselves and realize, first of all, you have needs and know that everybody else coming in that door, it's part of this body, has probably the same needs. So that should affect how you treat the other person that you claim you love that's a member of the same body. So these needs left unchecked will result in some type of fluctuation, guarantee it. You either find out that that need needs to be met and God works in you to shore that up and maybe he's teaching you some lessons during that time period. Or you'll find out, you know what, I, I didn't have a need. I faked myself out. I'm out of here. I'm done. I'm an adult. I don't need this stuff. Some people might be reluctant to do that because they have been socially connected to a group. It might take a little bit longer to withdraw. They might tiptoe out. Who knows? Because people are proud and they think, if I say I don't believe this, I don't want people bugging me. You know, I, it kind of looks stupid on my part saying I, I quit. 
because they're concerned with me. They're going to want to know why, and I don't want to. I don't want to face that. So I'm going to kind of fake around for a little while and draw it out, and then then maybe they eventually fall away in physical proximity. But they've already it was already happened a long time ago in their mind. This is why it varies from person to person. You can't just say everybody is exactly the same way, the way they do things. Still goes back to perseverance or apostasy. Those things are there. And you know what? God only knows. You know, all the way. So God operates through ordinary means. And he mentions those all throughout his word. And if you think you're unique and you think you, you don't really need to make use of the means and I'm, I'm different than I'm, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm mature. I'm stronger than everybody else. I think I can, I, I'm unique. Uh, these warnings in here, uh, uh, that's for the baby Christian. And then you get away from the people of God. There'll be some changes. And I hope as soon as possible. You know, there's some people here that throughout the years, I've wondered about their state at one point in time. And I've prayed, God, would you just like make them miserable and realize where they're at so they can get off the fence? Instead of stringing it out the rest of their life and then getting to judgment. And God says, depart from me, you that work iniquity. I, I never knew you. So uh, nobody really here understands as much, maybe as my wife, of me uh, with this, what I go through, because I'm concerned about the people that claim to be the flock of God. I could talk a lot about that, but I need to move on. So there are universal needs. Nobody's unique. You know, nobody is an island, and God will, won't leave his true sheep as that. He will work with them. He will use means. He will use other people in the church to teach them and to help them grow. And hopefully if they're God's sheep, they will help other people grow and be a part of that same means in the ministry. So this is this is really it's an accountability issue. Right. Are the people of God accountable? First of all, they are accountable to God for the way that they do things, the way they conduct themselves, the way they think. And um, there are some clear right and wrongs in the scripture about how that we deal with things and our attitudes and how we treat one another. So there's an accountability to God, first of all. And then in the body, there is coming into the church body, there's an accountability one to another of member to member. If you remove yourself from the body, you've removed yourself from accountability. I don't have to mess with them people. I'm over here, right? And, uh, you know, that, that would be a relief to an apostate. Maybe even before they know they're an apostate, that would be a relief, right? How many of you have been in a job you just can't stand? You know, and you finally got out of it. And it's like, I don't know why I wasn't out of that place a long time ago. You know what? There's churches that are that way. There's even good church, good gospel preaching churches that are just run wrong. And there are some people in the groups that are just like, you can't stand to be around. It's hard, you know. 
So the body is affected by the individual body parts. And I have a higher responsibility there to, for myself, for my family, and to watch over others to help them along the way in these areas. Now, let me just say this one thing. I, I don't have the time or energy to chase after people. And really the people that don't care enough about their own spiritual health. There are some people that have some problems and need some help and want some help, but they're afraid to ask for it. And I don't like taking stuff for free. People try to give me stuff. I can't stand people giving me stuff. Whether it be money or help, you know what I mean? Uh, different jobs I've had, I have always liked working by myself. Something, that's probably why I've got a couple hernias lifting stuff I shouldn't have lifted or acting like an octopus where I'm trying to hold three or four things and weld at the same time. I could have easily said, hey, can you help me? I, I, I hate it. But spiritual things, uh, and I don't, if I have issues and problems, I don't, I don't normally talk to people about them. I know where the remedy is. It's in the word of God and it's, there's means, there's prayer and we should be mature enough to be able to recognize a problem. Sometimes we can't figure it out. We just have to vent out and ask for help. And that's, that's fine. And, and if, if people in this church body need to do that, I'm not the only one. There's other members of the church. You know, if it's a female, want to talk to another female, we could go on and on about this, but people have needs getting back to the idea of people have needs. People use excuses not to be a part of the body that are easy fixes. It's just funny sometimes about what, why people say that they are not a part of the body. I've heard them all. And there's preachers that are older than me that heard twice as many as me. And I don't need to hear other examples from them because I can just imagine how people can come up with distancing themselves from the remedy, the word of God, help, prayer, fellowship. People are resistant to that because of pride, and so on. But Christ, as he accomplished redemption, he earned and merited these means that are available. The written word of God. People died preserving the word of God, right? The persecution throughout the years of all the different churches and the writings that people, even besides the word of God, the writings, people had their writings taken. The writings were burned and they were burned at the stake. There's all kind of that stuff that's gone on throughout history. And we're kind of spoiled today because you can, on a handheld device, you can have, you know, like four gigabytes of, you can have multiple versions of scripture with language helps and multi-volumes of commentaries. And you can have um, so-and-so's 16-volume works. It's right at your fingertips in this life that we have, the rat race that we live. And the more info we have, it seems like the less we take advantage of it. But Christ purchased by his death, the means, faith, repentance, preserved his word, preserved his church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The local churches and the teachers and the pastors and, and all those that are within the church that pray for one another and do all the edifying one with another. Somebody gets their stuff in a bind and, and God's people come to them and help them. Now, don't know if you're in a bind, if, you, if you're hiding that you're in a bind, whether it be money or a health issue or whatever, relationship issue. God provides means. Christ purchased the means by the death of Christ. 
In other words, use the means. That's what they're there for. Do you think God gets joy out of God's people using the means? The Lord Jesus Christ is a servant. He serves his people. The Arminian idea or the Pelagian or semi-Pelagian or the conditionalist idea would say, I don't need to use what Christ has provided because I ha- I'm self-sufficient. That's the direction that goes in. Christ is prophet, priest, and king. He's our mediator. He's our advocate. These are different offices that he holds, and he enjoys seeing his people use those offices. That's what they're there for, right? And we don't, we don't make use of those means. We're weak. You ever remember feeding some of your kids, and you got a full plate there, you've worked hard, and, and they might be skinny as a rail, and you're thinking you're, you're one sickness away from a Holocaust victim. Eat your food. <laughs> now they'd rather run around and do something and eat a, a lollipop or something, be juiced up on sugar temporarily and run around hyper. They're not getting nutrition. They're not getting fed. God's people are the same way spiritually. It's there. It's all over the place. I'm not just talking about what I say here, you know, an hour every week. I'm, I'm just talking about, I, I can put, if you need something, I can point you to it. So their means are there. Adults will do what they want. I, I mean, I get the message after a while. You're not interested. I get it. I'll quit bugging you. It starts to look silly after a while. You know, you've seen, uh, I can only speak to guys, you know, about guys pursuing a female that's maybe out of their league or something. You just keep bugging them, bugging them. You're thinking, you can look at it from a distance. Dude, give up. And he sees out of your league. You, you look stupid, right? You've seen it. But I've seen some couples, I think, man, how did he get her? That's us. How did we get Christ? Well, nothing we did. Christ is the, the one that was responsible for the Father choosing and giving him to us. Uh, humanly speaking, we're the ugly bride and... Christ is a perfect husband. But he cleansed us by his blood. So we don't want, I mentioned about chasing people who don't want to be here. I don't want to stuff this church with people that, that don't believe what we believe. Just to say, you know, we've got, we've got a self-sustaining church now. I mean, uh, I'm able to quit working full-time and now I'm pastoring full-time and I'm writing and I'm doing three messages a week and but we've got 50 people here that don't believe the gospel. You know what that brings? Trouble. Division. God's given, I think, everybody in here enough wisdom to know that. I don't want one person in here who doesn't believe the gospel unless they're here to hear the gospel that God would draw. Feel free to bring as many sinners here as possible to hear the gospel. But I don't want to stuff this place with unbelievers and, and, and we act like they're believers. That's nothing but trouble. And we know that nobody individually is perfect. We know no church is perfect. But the ideal mindset in an individual, and I was reminded of this this weekend at the conference, is that how we think in our minds from day to day, you know this enough to have experienced either in your own self or people you know, that when a person knows that they're going to die, they start thinking different pretty quick. And we should live, this is easy to say, but you're not going to, I don't think, well, get you a big thing and put it on the wall every morning and, and make yourself, force yourself to look at it every day. I don't think anybody's going to do that to remember 
I don't think anybody's going to email me or text me. Remember, Scott, today, live like you're going to die today. We're all going to forget, and we forget all the time. But, you know, that's true. When people know they're going to die, they think differently. And God's people should be living like they're going to die pretty soon. Why? Because, well, first of all, we could. God's in charge of that. I don't care if you're the most healthy person in the world. When God, I am God, there's none else. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. God's in charge of killing people and, and making people born. He's an absolute sovereign God in all things, no matter what you do for yourself. And you should take care of yourself. But if you don't, you're going to die sometime, no matter what you do. But if we, if we think that way, we're going to look at this question about perseverance and apostasy more often or more closely, at least. And you would think and hope that your faith that you claim you have is based on and, and been experienced through a proper motive and it's not deceptive, right? You've heard about, uh, it's a phrase, I can't remember how it goes, but you know people have problems in their life, they go through major problems, and they have an experience, maybe a conversion experience through that time. Some people call that a storm in life. They have a, some people will call this foxhole religion, if you've heard that phrase, but somebody gets scared or something major, or they're, they're going to get in trouble. And they have an experience of, where they make a decision during that time frame, during a storm in their life. Well, most of those, most, they don't last. They weren't real. The motive is skewed. If you have experience, if your conversion experience was during one of those times, it's all more and more than important to look at your own situation. Say, did I just like make some adjustment here because I was afraid? And there's a natural sense in which when we see the wrath of God, we're, everybody's afraid. That's why we flee to Christ. And then after we flee to Christ, we have a different fear. It's not afraid he's going to send us to hell. It's a, it's a reverential fear. We respect and honor him. We're afraid to be accepted outside of Christ because we know we won't be accepted. That's the fear that we have then, a reverential godly fear. So you just keep asking yourself, where is your treasure? Where is your heart and mind? What is it set on? And even if you're the hottest believer in here, as far as like so-called on fire, you know, in reference to the gospel, your heart is still mixed. We're still sinners. I mean, read Romans 7 about what Paul said about himself. He was in a war. Everybody that's a believer is in a war. They sin every day. So don't think I'm setting some kind of standard up here because I'm not. And if you guys know me, you don't have to worry about and I wouldn't require you to do something more than I would do in the first place. Because that makes a person look stupid. I've had bosses like that and people in leadership that would require something that's just about impossible. And you start wondering, is this a setup? Because I can't. I know he can't do it. Why does he expect me to do it? You know, But that's what the Pharisees did. They told other people to do stuff and they couldn't do it themselves. But at least if we do these things now and be honest with ourselves, rather than after it's too late, or if we don't even know, maybe we're not even, we think everything's okay and then we pass on and then we find out 
depart from me. So there's that, there's that type of person too. I mean, I could ask you all day to check yourself out. And if you're deceived in the first place, you're checking yourself out. It's not going to help you if you think you're okay after you check yourself out. Right? That doesn't mean you just give up and say, well, that's all predestined. I'm not even going to check myself out. Well, yeah, go. There's a highway over here. Go ahead and run across the highway. And I know some people that shoot guns. They need some target practice. If you want to run around and be a moving target, you want to do that too. That's fine. Stupidity, in other words. Turn to Second Peter. I'm not going to get much further than this. I, there were some things there that I needed to say in the introduction to, to bring your minds to just how important this is. And this, this message is really for believers. I, I sprinkled some gospel things in there. I didn't go too much detail. But it's for believers that... You know, I'm already thinking they believe the gospel. And this is a pretty much a practical message. And, and I'll try to throw some evangelistic type things, some more gospel things uh, next week. But Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 10, we're going to come back to the text next week, Lord willing, in Second Timothy. But this is related to our subject. Therefore, brothers, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10. Therefore, brothers, rather be, notice the language here. This, is, this qualifies the importance by using the word diligent. Be diligent. Don't just la-di-da, lackadaisical. Be diligent here to make your calling and election sure. Now, we know about the doctrine of election here. Some know more than others. But God, before the foundation of the world, chose his people in Christ, conditioned on Christ. Nothing to do with us. This is pure sovereign grace. How do you know that you're one of the elect? How do you know that you're not a reprobate or one that is apostate? That's what we're getting at. Your calling. Have you been effectually called? Do you have true faith? Has God given you repentance? Do you really believe? Or are you, are you holding on to that religious pride and idolatry of self-righteousness? Has he not blown that out of your mind with the dynamite of the gospel yet? Do you even know the centerpiece of the gospel, the very righteousness of God in Christ? Without that, you don't know the gospel. Have you been shown that your righteousness is crap to God? It's the worst thing you could present to him. And that the most precious thing to him is the righteousness that his son earned and merited by his accomplished, effectual, successful, sufficient, finished work on the cross. Have you been shown that? Or are you still holding on to your own righteousness? Or do you claim you believe those things that I just said concerning the gospel? But you think, well, that's for, that's for justification. Now, in my sanctification, I've got conditions out the yin-yang. And you better toe the line here. And if you don't, you've proven you're not justified. We've been over that subtlety. And I hope it's not subtle here anymore because we've exposed it. Make your calling and election sure. In other words, it says check, check yourself out. Don't worry about anybody else right now. Check yourself out. To make sure you're a believer. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. 
right? You won't be an apostate, in other words. You'll know that you're not a reprobate. You know that God has not chosen you unto condemnation. You know that you're not a Pharaoh or a Judas or some of these others that are clear in the scripture that were reprobates. Go to 2 Corinthians, and I think we'll close with this one. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. Examine yourselves. Let me stop right there. Now, we, we have talked about judging saved and lost by the gospel, starting with yourself. That's what we're talking about right here, right now. Make your calling election sure. Examine yourself. The steps that come later about determining who you're to fellowship with, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. Make sure you're not an unbeliever first. Because if you find you're an unbeliever, what are you judging other? It's a waste of time. It's a waste of time if you're an unbeliever. There had been a point in time where I have told you this before, where a, a sovereign grace preacher told me that you're a pretty decent Calvinist and you know how to argue sovereign grace Calvinism, but I don't think you know Christ. I didn't get mad at him. I knew the guy was pretty sharp and I, I wanted to hear why. He told me why. I started looking into it. I kept hearing the gospel and I said, come to find out he was right. Come to find out he was right. You know what? He examined himself first. I was pretty tight with him. He wanted to make sure that he wasn't unequally yoked with an unbeliever. He cared enough, actually, for me that he expressed some concern he had that he was hearing from me that didn't match up to what the scripture said concerning what God's people do, say, and are. And I'm thankful. Examine yourselves whether you are in the faith. Prove your own selves. Do you not know your own selves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless you're reprobates. A person can easily... I, I was deceived for 10 years. I was religious. I was fervent. I thought I was on fire. Uh, I hung out with people just like it. Some people were pulled from that false religion, but most were not. Do you think that affected me? Like, uh, I don't care about those people that were not pulled out. God has humbled me and showed me that I have the same needs. I have the same problems. I should be humbled and not look down my nose at them like, oh, well, I'm smarter. I, I all of a sudden became smarter. Those people are just stupid. Don't we know about total depravity? Who makes you to differ? How, how come you're different than everybody else? If you think again, if you go back to say you're unique and you did something different and you, you just haven't got, the, you haven't got it from the get-go, you're deceived. Do you see the task here? It's giant. And it starts with yourself. And even if you have the proper knowledge and the motive, even when you step out to do this for other people and help them, and I mean, 
If you pray for somebody and don't tell them you're praying for them, they'll never know. And you know what? That's maybe the first thing you ought to do. After you've examined yourself and you're worried about somebody being an apostate, pray for them. Give them the means. But sometimes why we brought that up is sometimes when you step out and you do, you're thinking you're doing everything right, the most humble, timid, loving, patient, compassionate way, you will sometimes get your head bitten right off. How dare you say this or that? It can, sometimes people, it's just a look. You want to say something and you're like looking concerned and you start to approach them. It's like, get away from me. I can't stand you. <laughs> you know, that they're, they're, I'm feeling that from them. What? what? I, I thought God's people love one another. I used to work with uh, two fellows in particular at another job that had been in trouble in times past and they had been trained not to trust people. One of them was in prison, and uh, it's probably good not to trust people when you're in prison. But after he got out, he'd been out long enough, and I was kind of close to this guy, and over and over and over again, I helped him and helped him and helped him. I gave him things. I covered for him when he could have gotten in trouble. He never, ever, ever trusted me. Have you ever done that for somebody? You think that you did something in vain. I've wasted my time on this person. I like the person. It seems like they're implying or inferring they don't even like me. Should I stop investing in this person? Spiritually speaking, and in churches, this same thing happens. Perhaps maybe somebody has done something and they need forgiveness. So the idea of gospel forgiveness is I forgive them because I'm really no different than them. I'm just like them. I'm a sinner, justified. And I, I, when I sin, I need forgiveness. I know I've got it from God, even without asking for it, if I'm a believer. But I need it from another person to continue the relationship in the body. So first of all, you realize you need it with God. You've got it with God. You need it from other people. Therefore, the next thing is, some people stop right there. The next thing is when someone says something or sins against you, because again, what? Oh, I'm unique. I'm going to make this person jump through hoops before I show them forgiveness. You're a spiritual idiot. That's evil, right? So maybe some things have to happen to where maybe you experience that. Somebody puts you in a spot where they're making you jump through hoops. Right away, real quick, you're going to say, hey, that doesn't make sense. And then all of a sudden you think, oh, I did that to that person, that person, that person. Don't do that in the church. Shouldn't do it with people outside the church either. But sometimes you'll recognize that you did that outside the church of somebody and you're able to take that lesson and bring it in the church. You say, man, that was, that's, that was cold and calculated and manipulative. That's what's in us. And left unchecked, we will suppress people. We will do wrong with people, to people. So all these things that we've talked about, we're going to sum it up. Till next week, just it's it's personal. Bring it personal. Check yourself out. 
Don't worry about anybody else until you check yourself out. And then after you've checked yourself out, you might need to check yourself out later and later and later. I, I think you should. <laughs> Keep checking yourself out. And the way you deal with other people, do it in the right way. Do it with mercy, compassion, love, patience. Why? Because don't you think that's the way you want to be treated? Yeah. Did I even have to say that? All right. Anybody in comments or questions? All right.